0: The world may be on fire, but there are changemakers that are even more fired up with the commitment to do some serious good. You're listening to People Making Things Better, where we interview folks who you maybe haven't heard of before, but who are having a big impact on today's issues with the environment, equality, human rights, public health, and more. We're not afraid to ask the tough questions about how they're able to do work that the world needs and still get paid for it. Listen in and get inspired because the world needs you in action too. I'm your host, Britt Westfall, and I'm joined by my co-host, Melinda Jackson.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to People Making Things Better. I am one of your hosts, Melinda, and I'm joined, of course, by my co-host, Britt. What's up, Britt?
0: Hey, Mel. How's it going?
1: It's going well. There's been a lot happening, even in spite of kind of all that's all that's been the same with the, the whole COVID-19 thing. I feel like there's also been a lot of changes for me, which is really cool. So yeah. uh,
0: a, a big move happened somehow in the midst of this for you, right?
1: Yes, yes, yes. So I am now based out of Los Angeles, which is very exciting. And the, the person that I had a chance to speak with this week is actually on this coast, which is super cool. His name is Damian D. Smith. And he is an award-winning filmmaker and actor. And this interview was so interesting because we've never had an actor on our podcast before. But I thought it was a super cool opportunity to learn a little bit more about how the arts can be a very transformative force when it comes to creating change in the world. And I think that's what Damien does a really good job at talking about, just how his art is, is the tool that he uses to create a world that's that's better for everyone so we talked about his latest project which is called target st louis volume one and it talks about chemical testing that was going on for poor black residents of a particular housing project in st louis and so he talks about some of the things that were going on in that era the the documentary follows the stories of people that were actually impacted by those chemical tests And it wasn't something that was illegal. It was perfectly legal, but of course, you know, unethical for companies to be testing on, you know, unsuspecting people and and targeting poor people um, at that. So it it brought up a lot of really kind of painful truths about some of the, the things that have gone on in this country. But I thought it was a really good and really necessary conversation. Part of his role as a filmmaker is uncovering a lot of those truths and bringing them into the light so that we can look at them and learn from them and, you know, find some, find some sense of justice for the people who have had to, to suffer because of things like what went on in St. Louis. So it was a really great interview, a little bit of a different tone, I think, than a lot of the interviews that we've, that we've done before, but I think it was still really important.
0: Yeah, well, I'm excited to hear it, and I'm excited to go see the, the film when it comes out.
1: Yeah, me too. They're a little bit delayed because of COVID, but his website, which is in the show notes for all of our listeners, will be providing updated information about when the documentary will actually air for all of us to see. So I'm excited to see it too.
0: All right, let's get to it.
1: Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to People Making Things Better. This is your co-host melinda and i am here with the incredible damien d smith damien is an actor and a filmmaker and he is on with us today he's got a awesome project that's coming out that we're going to talk more about but first of all just want to say welcome damien thank you so much for coming on the show we're so happy to have you
2: You're welcome, Melinda. And thank you very much, too.
1: It's interesting, Damien, because you are the first, well, both the first actor and the first filmmaker that we've had on the show, which is really cool. And I think that, you know, for us, as our title would suggest, it's all about people that are making things better. So I would love to know from your perspective as an artist, as a filmmaker, what do you see the role of filmmaking as in terms of making things better in the world?
2: You know what? I? My role, what I, the role of the artist, filmmaker in the world, uh, in the realm of making things better in the world, I, I mean, I, it's the reason I'm doing it because it made my life better. You know, as a kid, um, you know, coming up, I came out of the north side of St. Louis, and it was sometimes that we had some issues that we had to deal with, but what was always a constant for me was movies. You mm-hmm. know, movies were escapism for me, so I was able to throw myself in these movies and really, it, 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 you know, uh, dive into these stories and, and and just let my imagination just wander. And it was escapism from some of the surroundings and things that I was dealing with that was happening around me in life. I was able to tune all of that out, and also it provided a lot of you know of direction and morals and things for me. So I know the impact that film can have in the world. So. I try my art to try to impact lives as much as possible with the stories that I tell because I know it has it, it can it can change your narrative because your narrative is so important.
1: Yes, yes, I love that, and I I agree with you one hundred percent. I think that narrative is so important, you know, especially as you're talking about you know growing up and shaping how it is that you see the world. And speaking of narrative and shaping how we see the world, you have an incredible new project that you've taken on Target St. Louis volume one. It's a film. And I think um, from the preview that that I was able to see is a narrative that probably not a lot of people know about, but I think is one that will shape how we how we see the world and how we see. Our neighbors and vulnerable people, and and how vulnerable people can be treated in this world. So, can you tell us a little bit more about your Target St. Louis Volume One project? What's the narrative that you're that you're kind of unearthing through that project?
2: Oh, okay, sure. The narrative that I'm, I'm unearthing is more of our secret chemical testing and biological-based warfare on underdeveloped uh, underdeveloped communities, and also underprotected communities. So, okay. Chemical testing on the protected communities. That's what I wanted to highlight and address. So it's about post-World War II, during the Cold War era, the military conducted secret chemical testing on the poor people of St. Louis. So maybe you remember those vans that had come through with the smoke coming out and they said they were spraying for the mosquitoes and the you know pesticides. I remember those as a kid and we used to like run behind them because we'd be playing in the field and we just wonder what that is. I remember clearly one of them, for sure, because it was a group of us. So. In those cases, they were spraying phosphorus, cadmium, and and most likely radiation. Uh, so what was happening is that the government was testing, uh, saying they were building a defensive weapon, just in case uh, Moscow attacks America. You know the Russians was uh, during a cold war time. So they said, just in case they attack, we want to release this, you know, this aerosol spray you know, uh study was what they was calling it, but it's cloud that has blocked the bombers. But in all actuality, they were putting up an offensive weapon to attack Moscow and they want to see how these chemicals will react with you know certain populations. And they chose St. Louis because St. Louis had this, you know, uh, it was this proximity to water, um, the architectural design and you know wind patterns and everything was similar to Moscow. St. Louis was always the targeted city. That they were going to choose so they um so yeah so that's what happened and, and they didn't uh let anyone know about it they didn't let no one in St. Louis know that they were doing it except for a few things a few people that we re- we reveal in the documentary that um it was just very underhanded and very callous and these experiments were happening at the same time of the Tuskegee experiments I don't know if you, were, uh, you. Know, uh What you guys know about, the? what you good people know about the Tuskegee experiments, the Tuskegee experiments, again, they they tested on poor black people, syphilis cases and and trials. The same thing, not the same exact test, but they were testing African-Americans in St. Louis, were predominantly African-Americans in St. Louis at the same time. So the government had two tests going on the African-American population at the exact same time. Uh, and one was done by the National Board of Health. This one was conducted under the National Board of Health that was co-opted by the military industrial complex.
1: You know, this kind of news and information, I think is, for all, I knew about the Tuskegee experiment, but I never knew about what was going on in St. Louis. I think one of the things that struck me and will strike probably some of our listeners as, as surprising could be the fact that these were these were legal. You know, sometimes you think about oh, illegal dumping or illegal testing, but it's like, no, these were very much sanctioned by government agencies, though they were deeply unethical and problematic. So how do things like this happen? So from your lens as a filmmaker, Damien, and your just your experience living, you know, in the world, how is it that you think that things like this, you know, especially back in that time, were permitted to to occur?
2: Well, you know what, I'm as, as, happy uh, you said the last thing back in that time. If you don't have any protections from your uh, local officials and your local law le- legislators and lawmakers and people who are your, go- your governmental protection agencies that's there to help protect you from big business or even or even, you know, the, the government themselves at that time period you were open for any type of uh, entity that wanted to do something. And and that's because we were not our, we were, they were there was no financial stability in the neighborhood. It was downtrodden. People didn't have money and resources and they took advantage of these people. So the way that we can prevent that from happening is the exposure and more and, and, and speaking truth to power. And right now, a way that we can do it, another another way we can do that as well is voting and researching your local officials because these are the people that are making making policy that's going to directly affect your life. You know, we have to know who our elected officials is in our community so we know we can hold them to some level of accountability because clearly at that time period, the officials, they didn't tell people, they told certain people, but even after they found out that some of this was happening, They still didn't do anything about it, so they had no local protection at all. They knew that they could attack this vulnerable population, and they did. And the thing is, it's just been a history of testing on African-American communities.
1: You're right, Damien. And it is, it's such a disturbing history. I remember when I was taking a medical ethics class, I think this was during my undergrad. And one of the books that we had to read was called Medical Apartheid. Yeah. So I think mm-hmm. the full title. Yeah. So, okay. So you're familiar. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like Medical Apartheid. And I want to say it was like Harriet Washington mm-hmm. that wrote the book. We we but, referenced
2: it, we referenced it in the documentary.
1: Oh my goodness okay see yeah we're we're definitely on the same page then yeah and, and for our listeners who might not have um, read the book or you know aren't familiar with the kind of history I keep trying to say the history of illegal experimentation but really it, it was legal so the history of unethical yes. experimentation um, on a lot of poor um, black people in the United States you know started you know as early back as the days of slavery and what Harriet Washington does in this book is she kind of charts the journey all the way through like modern day experimentation in like prisons on, on inmate populations and things like that. But one of the things that I remember that book talked about was um, I believe his name was Dr. J. Marion Sims. And he was known as like the father of mo- modern gynecology, but he did a lot of his experimentation without anesthesia on, mm-hmm. on women who were enslaved. And, recently i believe he had a statue that was prominently displayed in like one of the parks in new york city and i just saw that um and it, it hasn't been too long but maybe a few months back that that statue was actually taken down as people were starting to kind of reckon with his legacy of of unethical experimentation even though you know he came up with these procedures that helped advance the field of gynecology So my question to you kind of in all this, Damien, is with us seeing some signs of like trying to reckon with some of these legacies, what do you hope that your film can contribute to that?
2: Yeah, a great question. I would hope that my film could contribute to the narrative of exposure because everyone knows about the Tuskegee experiments, but, you know, not everyone, I'm sorry. A lot of people know about the Tuskegee experiments, but not too many people know about this experience but what how they targeted these people of St. Louis. And it was a they targeted around this one project called the Pruitt Igo Housing Complex because it was a it was the first ever like public housing you know offered by the government. So the government basically gave these people a beautiful, like, house on an apartment on a hill that was taking them out of the level of poverty that they were living in and put them in this shiny thing and then made it so born. I wanted to make sure that my film can add to the narrative of bringing it out, you know, exposing all this. Because the more exposure of, of a situation like this, it makes people want to pay more attention. And then also, you know, our, uh, a lot of our people, a lot of our uh, subjects, had filed a class action lawsuit that was dismissed. And that's, that's un- unfortunately how that happened. So these are things that can be spoken about and, and brought to light. And that's all these, in, in, in the through line of the film, is that really, that's where all they want, these victims. At this point, we just need to talk about it so it won't happen again.
1: Absolutely. That's
2: what our generation is doing. And in this documentary, they're speaking about, hey, we just want this to come to light so it won't happen again. There's nothing, they, these people are, the survivors are in their late 70s, like late 60s, mid to late 70s. So they're not, they really don't have any other time to spend not advocating for the best thing for the future. And, and unfortunately, at this point, two of our subjects have passed. And one has just happened, let's say, what, three weeks ago. Just passed. We just want to get this word out. So that's why I'm so passionate about, you know, getting this story out because I want to add to their legacies as well.
1: And I can definitely hear the passion in your voice as you're talking about um, these victims who just want to be heard, frankly, and want to make sure that they leave the earth better than they, they found it and that in telling their stories that they're able to do that, that they would be able to help protect people from having to suffer what they what they endured i wonder because with stories like this it it can be painful to dig into a lot of these stories and to understand the injustices that people have suffered under these you know unethical experimentation sorts of scenarios. So for you as a filmmaker, as you were making this film, as you were talking to a lot of these victims, as you were kind of reliving their stories, how did you keep yourself mentally sane? I know for me, I'm as I was even watching the trailer, it's like you start to get those that feeling of kind of anger bubble up in you just to see how you know, how these people were treated and how little protection, if any, that they had. So as you were reliving and, and re-exploring these stories, what are some of the ways that you kind of took care of yourself from a, a mental health standpoint?
2: I really appreciate that question uh, because, one, that is a very interesting question. <laughs> the answer is loaded because it, it, here's, here's, here's the thing. Coming up as an African-American in America, a fact is you're gonna be mistreated in certain elements. And it's, it's on you to make sure that you gain or fight for your respect and you fight for your uh your your seat at whatever table that is generally offered to everyone else and to see what you can build from that point. So you gotta fight your way to get to like the base and then fight up as well, right? So within that journey you come conditioned to ignore certain things or what it, what it is. And also that journey is passed down from generation to generation. It's no secret why, in my opinion, that older African-American men like our grandfathers or great-grandfathers don't want to go to the hospital. Like my grandfather wouldn't go to a hospital. My grandfather passed away from cancer. So, you know, if he would have just went to the hospital earlier he would have I think he could have a good chance he could have saved his life possibly we didn't want to go to hospitals because we have we are conditioned that we're going to be treated unjustly sometimes a lot of times and that's why they don't want to do it so I grew up in this mentality I kind of knew that these type of things so I don't I didn't have to find a way I just because we've always conditioned our a way to get through things like this by you know laughter comedy music finding ways to meditate. It's way, you, because we have, you, 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 we, it's, we have to. It's unfortunate that we have to come up with these type of ways. That's why expression is so big in our communities. Things like that. We have to because we're dealing with so many different things that's not the same thing that of our counterparts are. So that's one way. But this story is very personal to me because how I came about doing this documentary is that my grandmother, this happened to my community. This is where she's from. But my grandmother's in, was one of the survivors of this. You know, people in my family. So, it's 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 a really personal thing to me. And we found ways to you know keep everybody sane because we all have a united story to go from. So when you have a shared situation, you get you know a shared level of sympathy, shared level of compassion. So it's not a it's not a thing that I had to like condition myself to to uh, not let it affect me, you know, being, being affected is okay. And then just yeah. know that la- laughing is okay as well. You know, you know, crying and joking, crying and laughter is all okay. Just, but as long as you know, it's okay. I'm able to keep, you know, going and pushing and telling stories and uh, speaking truth, truth to power as much as possible.
1: Yes. I love that you said that too. Cause sometimes we don't want to let ourselves be human and like feel the feelings. Like sometimes it's just easier to, you maybe turn our backs from stories like this just because of the pain that's associated with it. But Uh you're right. We can, you know, we can feel sad about it. We can feel angry. We can, you know, laugh, we can find joy in all of these moments. So I love that that's something that you were able to cultivate even in the midst of what I'm sure was, you know, a bit of a difficult process with, with these stories. So that is fantastic and when you were making this story so i know that you said it was you know very personal to you and that your grandmother even is a survivor of of this but as you were growing up were you hearing any stories that were kind of revolving around this topic from your family members that were involved or people around you how did you kind of become aware of of this as a part of your own narrative
2: um me and my grandmother we used to you know talk all the time she used to send me letters She used to write letters to me and uh, we used to, most of the letters contain stuff about the family but this is how we communicated with each other back and forth so and she used to send me clippings from like the political things that she's has a um, had an opinion on to see see you know what my thoughts were and all that so one particular news clipping that she sent me was about this it was the prodigo testing you know the, the the aerosol spray study that came out by dr. Martino Taylor she had uh got interviewed her thesis statement that got published that she had found that you know these things were happening so uh and they published it in like a local, local newspaper and she sent it to me and we started talking about it and she was saying yeah i was i grew up in this neighborhood and she was telling me how she had heard rumors of these things like that happening we knew some stuff was happening but we were kids so we really didn't have a we didn't have a say at that time, especially, you know, the time period. But, um, you know, but it come to find out these like rumors back in the, the boogeyman, back in the day were true. So she had told me at you all, know, we were you know having that conversation and I was really interested in it. I was really interested that, you know, nothing has really been, been like came out like that. And I wanted to do this documentary. So that's how our, you know, that's how I was brought in. And, but the thing is around, the, the thing is in the community, In our community, it's so many different like myths or rumors or you know you know hearsay that's been said because it's been so many things that happened to us. You know, like it's like for example, this was just like these kids talking, and no one took it serious because it's just another one on the pile of things that's been perpetrated against us, and we we don't have any you know valid concrete evidence, but we know it's happening. But since there's no valid concrete evidence, it's, you know, it's been able to be dismissed as hearsay or, you know, rumor or or some conspiracy theory. And, you know, you guys, you know, uh, crying out or or whatever, whatever way you want to just just wipe it away. You can do it by doing that. But a lot of these situations were valid. And that's another reason why the documentary as well as what keeps driving me to make sure that this is the best it can be or and, and get it out to the public because this is validation. Just so you know, you're not crazy. They did do this to you.
1: Absolutely, I think through seeing your documentary, through seeing the work that you've done and that your team has done, and putting this together, they can now know that you know. Yes, this this was a thing that happened to me. Like you said, that I am I am completely validated in in feeling what I felt and 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 knowing what I, I knew. So, what do you hope is kind of the end result? once someone's done watching this documentary, what do you hope that they do?
2: Well, what I would love for them to do, um, Melinda, is the same thing that the survivors would love for them to do. And it's throughout the documentary. They want to just be the local officials to make sure that this doesn't happen and to bring it to light. The way that you can make sure it doesn't happen is bring it to light. Because by bringing it to light, it, is, it, it brings up light all the ways that it happened. So we can cut that out from happening again.
1: Absolutely. And I think it's going like if, if the trailer is any indication, I know that this is going to be very deeply moving for a lot of people. And I'm really looking forward to people seeing it, people talking about it, and then people talking about, just like you said, how is it that we keep this from happening in our, in our world? Mm-hmm. So Damien, where is it that our listeners who are interested in seeing Target St. Louis Volume 1, where where can we find it?
2: Well, since we are in this uh, unique state of being right now, yes. Uh, <laughs> we, we had our screening scheduled. We had partnered with the Historical Society of Missouri, and we had had our screening set at March 22nd at the History Museum in St. Louis. But that's not happening now. We just rescheduled our, you know, our Friends Family Crew uh, screening to June. We'll be going, through, going to film festivals and we're looking to get distribution. I'm going to be some licensing agreement with some, with some online distribution platforms that we can't speak too much about, but we would love to. We would let everyone know uh, as soon as possible. Sure. You know, it'll be Coming out as well. So you can watch if you want to film festivals, and be coming there, but then also preferably we'll be coming out more of a, a larger platform soon.
1: Well. That sounds great. And then what we'll do is we'll also link your website into our show notes. So listeners, if you yes. want to keep up with Damien and find out what he's doing, um, find out more about his projects and specifically more about... How you can see Target St. Louis Volume One. We will leave you um, his information and his website in the show notes. And before we go, Damien, this has been awesome. We're almost at time. But before we go, there's a question that we always ask our interviewees on this show, and it's always about money. So sometimes a lot of our listeners or might be aspiring filmmakers or change makers in some capacity. And oftentimes we wonder like, how can we create the things that the world needs and do the work that's important to advancing our world, but yet still pay bills. So when you were making um, Target St. Louis volume one, how is it that you raised the money to be able to do it? And how were you able to take care of yourself financially during that process?
2: Well, you know, I gotta say, thankfully, that I'm also an actor as well. So that allows me um, certain, you know, uh, certain money, some certain things from different projects I'm able to invest back into these projects that I love. But it's a sacrifice as well. Here's, a, here's what I think about art and commerce is I'm all for it. You know, I'm not one of these because you can, why shouldn't you be able to live off the art that you provide to others? So for example, I'm doing a, a new project now since we're all since we're all quarantined this thing is a thing I'm putting together called Short Break. And Short Break is go is a is a short film uh viewing platform that we merge the filmmaker and the audience together and we all have a great experience. We watch the film together, we do a commentary on it. The uh, audience can ask can ask questions of the filmmaker, and the filmmaker can ask questions of the audience, and also comment on the movie. It's a real cool thing. It's a it, it's happening. It happens online primarily, and we're doing it now because we're all here and we're just getting our audience, and you know, having, having a great time. But eventually, I will put our Cash App on there. I will put hey, if you would like to donate to uh, the production forty nine ten or you know for this content that we're providing we will we would like for that to come in cuz we've been able to create more content cuz we all have to eat you know this this is entertainment that we're providing you know that art artists provide entertainment monetizing it is going to help you pay your bills monetize the thing that you do love to do that's what we all should be working towards to be able to get paid from things that we love to do i'm a firm believer that we you can you can make it happen and also get paid for doing it. it you got, you have to monetize your art in some way, shape, form, or fashion. You know you can give a lot for free because we get as artists we give a we give naturally all the time for free. Some people should you know kick in
1: or something. Not much, but, you know, shows love. I agree. I agree. And I think that's something really good for our listeners to think about. You know, when you produce value in the world and art is value, um, yeah, you should be compensated for that. And, you know, I don't know, for me personally, if, if I can't pay my bills, I'm definitely not producing any art because I'm not, yeah. you know, I'm not focused on it. So you're right. It's, it, it not only helps us to be able to be compensated for the value that we put into the world, but it also helps us be able to make more art because we're we're stabilized in our lives. So, yeah, and I'm so glad that you did not shy away from that conversation at all. Sometimes people can get a little funny about money or, you know, can maybe not want to talk about it. But I, I appreciate your perspective so much on that, Damien. Monetize, monetize <laughs> it all. Wise words from <laughs> Damien why D. Smith. Not? <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So Damien, tell us, where can we follow you and your work? You can
2: follow me on my social media, which is Damien D. Smith. Um, that's my user handle on Facebook, Instagram. Just my full name. You no know, no punctuation, Damien D. Smith um and Twitter and Twitter Facebook Instagram and Twitter you can follow Target St. Louis on uh it has its Instagram page you can get it through mine but then also you can go to www.4910rosalie.com that's my uh that's our that's our company website again 4910rosalie 4910rosalie.com and that's a portal where you will be able to find about our featured narrative uh, Victory High, aka the V. You'll find out about our film Target St. Louis and all our social media handles and short uh, a short break. All you know, all those posts and everything about that. It'd be just a hub for all the projects and things that I got going. on.
1: Perfect, and I will link that in the show notes for all of you so that you guys can follow Damien, follow his work, and so that you can get to Thank see you. his latest project, Target St. Louis Volume One. Damien, it was a pleasure. This was such a it was a very like pointed yet fun yet I don't know serious conversation. Thank you so much for being
0: on. Thanks for listening. Till next time.